Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Good Friday. And what a perfect name for the celebration of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. It's truly, He's good beyond our wildest dreams. Welcome if you're joining us online. We're glad that you're here as well. We're going to begin tonight by sharing Holy Communion. We're here to gather in celebration of Jesus tonight to lift our praise to the one who truly ransomed our souls. Amen? Because on Calvary's hill, our sin and shame were forever defeated. And you know, Jesus went willingly to the cross for us. He willingly died so that we could have his life abundant both now and for eternity. I want to walk together tonight through some of the moments of what we call Good Friday. And it begins the night before Jesus was killed on the cross, the night that he was betrayed. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, the Master shared the Passover meal with his disciples. And in his sobering moment with just his inner circle, If you were with us this last Palm Sunday, as we looked at the the moment when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, you know that the mood changed significantly over the course of this week. Jesus did not embrace the triumph and fanfare of Palm Sunday as he entered the city. Instead, he repeatedly predicted what was to come, his sacrifice for us. And when he's finally alone with just his inner circle in this intimate time, some of the most beautiful acts in all of Scripture are passed along to us, beginning with the moment of Holy Communion, the sacred tradition that all believers share and hold dear. So tonight, we're going to join with Jesus in celebrating His sacrifice with Holy Communion. If you have your communion elements, you can grab them and get them ready. If you didn't grab one coming in, you can head out to the lobby. There's a bunch of them there. And if you're watching online, you can run into the kitchen for something real quick. And that's all right. We'll wait just a second. Scriptures tell us that after supper, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. He broke it into pieces so he could share with his disciples and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is broken for you. The bread reminds us that Jesus was willingly broken for us. He chose to be broken for us so that we could be made whole despite all of our brokenness. In Jesus is all the wholeness that we could ever need. All the wholeness that we could ever require or imagine. So let's eat the bread tonight and let's do it in remembrance of his sacrifice for us. Then Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks to the Lord, sharing it with his disciples and saying to them, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. It strikes me that they had gathered to eat the Passover meal together, the meal that celebrated God's deliverance from their slavery in Egypt. Jesus himself, even as they were celebrating Passover, he was becoming the great Passover lamb of God, the spotless, pure lamb that would be sacrificed so that his blood could mark them as accepted and right with God. 
Because under the old covenant, there was no removal of sin apart from the shedding of blood, but Jesus willingly sacrificed himself to cover our sin. That's what we celebrate tonight. He covered our sin past, present, and future so that never again could anything hold us back from God. Amen? Let's receive the cup and honor the Lord with thankful hearts. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it will forever be a mystery how you chose to set us free from sin, from shame, from anything that could hold us back. Although you were perfect, you willingly became our perfect sacrifice. Today we remember, Lord, we remember that the grace we receive, the freedom we receive, the forgiveness we receive, the redemption that we receive was not without cost. It cost you greatly. We honor you tonight, Jesus. We remember you. We celebrate you. Would you be honored in this place and walk amongst us tonight? Show us again the miracle of your sacrifice for us. In Jesus' mighty name, and all of God's people said, Amen, amen. You may be seated. Amen. John writes in his gospel, and he captures so many amazing things for us. He tells us that after sharing this meal, he showed them the full extent of his love. There's this moment that we see, which I love in John's uh, in John's Gospel, chapter 13, where Jesus once again does the unthinkable. You know, Lord of all creation, creator of heaven and earth, chooses to take the posture of a servant and wash the feet of his disciples. One of his last actions with them is to serve them in an unthinkable way. And I got to thinking about why he does this, and perhaps it's in response to a conversation that's captured in actually in Luke's Gospel where the disciples go back and forth in one of their favorite hypothetical questions. Simply this, who of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Maybe you've seen this in the Gospels before. The disciples tended to get into this little discussion, this little thought experiment of who's going to be the best when they get to heaven, when they sit at his side in glory. And Jesus responds by taking up the towel and wrapping it around his waist and beginning to serve them. And he says some words to them in Luke chapter 22 that I want to share with you, that I believe set the tone for everything he does afterwards. Luke chapter 22, verse 25 to 27. Jesus told them in response to their little hypothetical conversation. He said, In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, and yet they're called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader among you should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, says Jesus, for I am among you as one who serves. Jesus washes their feet in an unthinkable action. He responds and teaches them in an unthinkable way. The Son of Man, he said, did not come so that we could serve him. He came to serve. And Jesus steps throughout all of his ministry, and in this incredible week we call Holy Week, he steps deeper and deeper into this role of the servant king. He departs from the path that was laid before him by the people with their palm branches. 
He steps further and further from being an earthly king that they were cheering for and closer and closer to the real triumph that only he knew was going on. On the surface, the story of Holy Week that we've been celebrating and reading through this week, it seems to move from triumph at his entry into the city to a period of testing, ultimately to his trial and finally to tragedy on the surface. But in reality, the story that God was writing in our midst was one that moved from glory to glory as Jesus lands the final blows in the eternal battle of humankind with sin. Even as their shouts change from Hosanna and blessings to crucify him, Jesus remains unmoved throughout the process. Luke tells us that he had set his face resolutely for this purpose. He was fully aware of what was going on. Even as they had no idea what was about to happen, Jesus knew all along what was coming. He had waited for this moment and he saw the pain that was in his future. Even as he approached Jerusalem the final time, he wept out loud and said in Luke 19, if only you knew the cost, if only you knew what it would take to bring peace with God, knowing full well what he was about to do on our behalf. Because Jesus ultimately was not interested in the temporary peace between warring nations achieved by the sword. That wasn't his purpose, that wasn't why he came. He had set his face. He had resolved with all of his will and all of his might for a far greater purpose that only he could see. There's a brief clip in the TV series, The Chosen, which I believe beautifully captures Jesus' razor-sharp focus on his mission and the expectations that the people had for him. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about those expectations, but I think this sums it up for us. So if we could go ahead and play the clip. Things. I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents, and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert, and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. You might recognize the conversation that John captures that's going on there between Jesus and Nicodemus. I love what he says there. Sorry to disappoint you, but I did not come to rescue the people from Rome. I came for another reason. See, the people were seeking a temporary freedom, a temporary peace by the overthrow of Rome, but Jesus knew that there was an eternal problem which was far greater. 
The sin problem that exists for every single one of us human beings is far greater than any regime that we may exist underneath. Jesus had chosen. He had set his face. He had striven with all of his will to make it to this moment, and the moment had finally arrived for him to set everyone free for all time. I want us to take a look at a moment where Jesus makes that choice for us, where he finally kind of gives himself fully and steps into it, because we know it wasn't an easy choice for Jesus to make. Can you imagine? I think we fail to realize just how hard that choice was for Jesus to make. We look at the coming crucifixion, many of us know what's coming for Jesus, and we think about the physical pain that he was about to endure for us, but that was the least of what Jesus went through for you and me. Jesus willingly chose unthinkable suffering that we can't even imagine. Skeptics of the Christian faith, they often ask the question, you might have been asked this question yourself, well, how would a good God, if he's so good, how does he allow suffering in our world? If he's so good, why can't he intervene? Is he not able to do something about it? Is he indifferent to the suffering that happens in our world? When we look at the story of Jesus, we see that God cares so much more than we could ever fathom. He cares more than we can imagine. He cares about our suffering enough that he enters into it himself. And he carries it for us himself. He takes it upon himself. He doesn't settle for momentary intervention into our suffering, although he often meets us at points where we have extraordinary need. Instead, Jesus chooses to eliminate the very source of all pain, sin in our lives. Sin is the choice we repeatedly make that causes strife and suffering between all of us. And Jesus steps into human history for this purpose. Philippians 2 tells us that although he was in very nature God, he didn't hold on to his divine privileges, but willingly took on the very nature of a man, even a servant, and chose to be obedient to God, humbling himself and allowing himself to be killed as a criminal in our stead. So no matter what things you may be wrestling with today, no matter what suffering you might have seen, whether you feel like God is near to you or far away, when we look at Jesus, we remember that God cares this much. He cares more than we can comprehend, and he wants to set you free time and time again. After the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples cross the Kidron Valley and go up to the Garden of Gethsemane for prayer. And I believe it's here that we catch a full picture of the suffering of Jesus, the full picture of the choice that he made for you and I. The cost of our peace with God is enormous beyond comparison. Until the garden, we catch glimpses throughout the Gospels of Jesus understanding what is to come, predicting his death, warning his disciples about those things. He had soberly prepared them for what was to come. But it's in this moment that we see the full weight of his suffering open up and the emotions catch up to Jesus. All of the emotion, all of the anguish spelled out. Mark captures it for us by saying that Jesus was greatly distressed, troubled, and overwhelmed by sorrow to the point of death. Mark, who is standing there watching this all transpire. Dr. Luke, in his doctorly way, describes for us a person in a state of shock, and so much worse, even sweating great drops of blood in his utter agony as he thinks about what's coming. I love Tim Keller's take on this moment and how he brings it home for each and every one of us. He says this, 
There may be no greater agony than the loss of a relationship that we desperately want. If a mild acquaintance turns on you, condemns you and criticizes you, and says she never wants to see you again, it is painful. If someone you're dating does the same thing, it's qualitatively more painful. But if your spouse does this to you, or if one of your parents does this to you when you're still a child, the psychological damage is infinitely worse. We cannot fathom, however, what it would be like to lose not just spousal love or parental love that has lasted several years, but the infinite love of the Father that Jesus had from all eternity. Jesus' sufferings would have been eternally unbearable. Jesus bore as the substitute in our place the endless exclusion from God that the human race has merited. In the Garden of Gethsemane, even the beginning and foretaste of this experience began to put Jesus into a state of shock. And the New Testament scholar Bill Lane writes it like this, Jesus came to the garden to be with the Father for an interlude before his betrayal, but he found hell rather than heaven opened up before him, and he stumbled. The intimacy of heaven that Jesus held on to from all time the relationship that he had with the Father, inseparable from eternity, was coming undone in this moment in the garden. Instead, Jesus saw the coming separation from God, the very definition of what hell is, a far greater anguish than any physical pain to come for him. And multiple times, Jesus repeats his prayer, asking, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. In this moment, Jesus had a choice, and he chose to take the cup of God's wrath on sin from all time for us. Not my will, but yours be done, he prayed. He willingly chose once again to go the distance so that we would be free. As Keller concludes, why did he do it? The Bible says Jesus came on a rescue mission for all creation. He had to pay for our sins so that someday he can eliminate evil and suffering without ending us. Jesus cares so much for every tear and every heartache that he himself stepped into human history to bear the full weight of our sin. And someday he will end all evil and usher in his kingdom where we're told there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain, ever again. All these things will be gone forever. Amen. You can say amen to that. Jesus set his, his face for this purpose. He saw the joy of his, his humankind free from sin with him forever, and he made his choice in the garden. N.T. Wright talks about this moment of choice in the garden and he spells out the options that Jesus had before him because Jesus had options. He didn't have to go through with it. Number one, he could have called down an army of angels. That's what Jesus said to Peter a few minutes later. Think about an army of angels. If you've read anything that an angel does in Scripture, I think 12 legions would have sufficed for anything Jesus had in mind. Or, let's be honest, he could have just let an army rise up for him. Peter might have been the one to famously draw his hidden sword, but you got to believe that thousands more were ready at this moment to rise up. Option one, he could have let an army arise. Option number two, he could have retreated. He could have taken his followers and withdrawn. 
He could have started a community in the desert like the Essenes. They could have gathered together and prayed the Lord's Prayer three times a day and waited for God to change everything. But he didn't do that either. Instead, Jesus chose to step into the moment. He chose to step into our suffering and fully bear the burden for you and I. To take the accusation and the cursing until sin was finished completely. So Jesus is betrayed. He's led away to stand trial in a complete sham, falsely accused and yet totally silent. He would not utter a word in his own defense. If you've read through the Easter story, what Jesus says and doesn't say in these final 24 hour, this final 24 hour period, it's just amazing what he says, what he opens his mouth for, and what he chooses to be silent on. From his lips come cries of anguish in the garden and the ultimate acceptance of God's plan. Yet, when he had the opportunity to defend himself and get himself off the hook, he said nothing. He was silent. As Isaiah foretold, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. And as their hosannas, ecstatic shouts of praise, turned instead to shouts of crucify him, the verdict was handed down. Injustice of the highest order. They took him and placed a crown of thorns on his head. They mocked him and jeered him. They beat him and spat on him. They placed the heavy beams of a cross on him and led him shamefully through the streets and up the hill of Calvary. And there they nailed his hands and feet to the cross and lifted him up, just as he said would happen. On the cross, Jesus opens his mouth again. One final cry of utter agony as the separation from the Father is complete. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After completing one last prophecy and receiving the sour wine to parch his thirst, Jesus said, it is finished, and gave up his spirit. In that very moment, Matthew tells us that the temple curtain, the curtain that was 60 feet high and four inches thick, which represented the separation of sinful mankind from a holy God was torn in two from top to bottom. The power of sin is finished forever. The separation between God and man is finished forever. Death and hell and the grave are swallowed up in the perfect love of Christ. Amen? Never again will sin and death have power over us because Jesus chose willingly chose, set his face, and chose the cross for us. He has overcome, and today we can be free because of Jesus. But he didn't just set us free from the past. He liberated us to a brand new future with him, not to carry on business as usual and go back to all the old ways. He set us free to join him as new creations. It's Friday night now. At this hour, Joseph and Nicodemus have taken the body of Christ down from the cross and laid him in the borrowed tomb. The disciples have scattered, overcome with grief and fear, trying to draw strength from one another's presence and one another's sorrow. But all of heaven is doing something different. All of heaven is gearing up instead for the final and true triumph of the Lamb. 
because God ordained this moment from the beginning of time. Sunday's coming with a cosmic shift of hope that all of eternity pivots around. Jesus completed his work, but aren't you thankful that the story doesn't end with him in the tomb? Aren't you thankful? I want to invite you this Holy Week as we move towards Resurrection Sunday. Don't rush ahead. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Put yourself in the shoes of Mary and Joseph. Put yourself in the shoes of Nicodemus. Let's not rush ahead. Let's reflect instead on the Savior who suffered by choice for you and I. The one who loved us so much that he willingly left heaven behind for us. The one who cares so deeply for all of our sufferings that he took them upon himself. Once more, Isaiah says it like this. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He took our punishment and he finished his work on the cross. So as we await Resurrection Sunday, let's remember the God who suffered for us. There's no condemnation and no separation from the God who loves us anymore. We've been bought with a price, amen? So even in our worst pain, and I don't know what you all are struggling with, whether you're here, whether you're online, even in our worst pain, he never stops being God with us, and he loves us this much. Even when we don't understand, like they didn't understand the disciples fled in fear and worry and so much grief. Even when we don't understand, trust me, he is still working to achieve a victory that we could never achieve. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus this weekend, amen? Let's keep our eyes fixed on the price that he paid for us. I want to pray together as we close our service. I just want to take a moment and reflect. If the band could come back up and just begin to play. As we think about Jesus, as we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, let's not rush ahead to what we know is coming, but let's Let's dwell on what he went through for us, on the suffering servant, the suffering savior that is our God, our Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, we're in awe of you. Nothing we could say could ever capture, nothing that's been written down in all the books could ever capture the depth of suffering that you endured for us willingly. Words can't capture what you've done and words can't capture our gratitude, Lord. So we simply come and stand in awe of you. We're in awe of what you did for us on Calvary's Hill. We're in awe of the choice you made for us that you didn't have to make, but you chose willingly instead of letting us go through eternal separation from you. We simply come and fix our eyes on you and stand in awe of you, Jesus. Thank you for being our perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb. Thank you for being the one whose blood covers all our sin and washes us white as snow. We love you, Lord, and we celebrate your sacrifice tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. 
If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.